You can wear your Brian McLaren and you can rewrite the Christianity for the new generation and we'll just stick with uh, stick with what we've been given and and my money's on well what we've been given. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here as always with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys today? Excellent. Great. Doing well, Nick. How was Christmas for you guys? Did you get everything you wanted? Santa came. Oh, uh, yes, <laughs> that's right. You got smoking supplies, is that right? Oh, yeah, I heard about that. I got a new pipe and pipe weed or tobacco. Yeah, not, not weed. <laughs> weed. I, I'm using <laughs> the, the Tolkien term. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> but yeah, you, tobacco. Do you have your toes surgically sewn together so you can be more like a hobbit? Huh. Were their toes sewn together? Didn't they have Did their they have toes? toes? No, Didn't, you're thinking no? something else. See, you're oh. in the train. back of Tolkien knowledge. Yeah. You're not an LOTR nerd. Goodness. Uh, they had, how did, they had hairy feet hairy feet okay hairy yeah. feet yes. yeah they walked around barefoot their feet were callous and hairy but not maybe they ultimately became webbed after a time <laughs> we can only hope <laughs> uh, jd do you get anything good uh no we we kind of just exchanged well we have the two babies uh with yeah. us now so that's kind of was christmas was a little bit of a blur but we had a good time. We um, we got a fire pit. It's very exciting for the a fire the, pit too. How about that for the forty five degree um, yeah. winter, the frigid forty five degree winter nights here, <laughs> and we uh, and we exchange Adirondack chairs. So that was um, <laughs> yeah. So we're ready to go to watch our sit back and um enjoy the the, the blistery uh, evenings. Well, we do find ourselves here with our last episode of the year, time for our annual, and it's pretty cool that we can do, say that we're doing a second annual something, right? Uh, today, we're going to do our second annual end of the year awards show. We've got a couple categories like we did last year to look back on 2021. Uh, we only actually got through two of our categories last year. We'll see how it goes this year, but we'll discuss nominees in each category, using it as an opportunity to reflect on 2021. <laughs> as a whole so we're we're a long-standing podcast now we've got to have gimmicks so mm -hmm. so i'll announce a category we'll each make a nomination and then discuss and see sort of where the conversation goes our first category as it was last year is issue of the year thing that uh came up for us that we we sort of think typifies 2021 what was your issue of the year i mean if we're talking like nationwide of course i think it would have to be COVID again but. sure but, but that's if, boring. Uh, yeah, it's boring. But if we're talking about the church, I mean, I would say it's also kind of boring. But <laughs> but, but it's the continued incursion of of wokeness into the into the church, into the Anglican Church in particular. The ACA. Despite all of your efforts, despite, <laughs> despite the, no one's listening. To tireless efforts at uh, no um, one is shepherding. That's right. Right. No, it just keeps it keeps going. And so and so, what's what's irritating about this most mostly is that. I remember back in 2007, 2008, when the emerging church thing started happening, thinking, man, this is this is the attempt of cynical the agnostics. Kind of stuff that we're dealing with the Episcopal Church, kind of kind of taking a new type of uh, avenue. Uh, what, what, what do diseases do? They mutate, right? A new, a new mutation into evangelicalism. And, um, and for a while, we thought, the emerging church was ultimately stamped out, but it really wasn't. It's just reemerged again in the, in the, in the, in the, in wokeness. And so it's it, the evangelical world is just dealing with the same thing we dealt with in the Episcopal church. And I guess the, the thing that has always irritated me, not irritated me, but uh, I don't know why that the leading evangelicals, some of them anyway, don't see the threat and, and they're not willing to listen to those of us who've been through this thing. So people who are, uh, I won't name names, but there are people who are uh, solid Orthodox people in the evangelical circles will continue to refer to those who are pushing things like same-sex unions or, or marriages, I guess now, as brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we disagree. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, 
there was there was a book written and published by a major voice in evangelicalism two years ago with you know co-written at least or at least with a contribution by someone who's who's pro-gay marriage and this person who wrote the book or edited the book is orthodox and and yet throughout the book this this apostate is referred to as a as a Christian. This is this is the kind of thing, this is kind of compromise that ultimately undoes a theological position. And so, I think we're watching right now the undoing of evangelicalism in America, um, or at least the sig- significant reduction of it, or the the, the 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 paring down of it. I don't think I don't think evangelicalism evangelicalism was ever as faithful as as evangelicals may have thought of themselves as but but i guess that the true those who really are believers are being are being identified and revealed in this time and those who are not are also being revealed so i think that's a continuing story that we'll be watching the next year and you know again it's not just evangelicalism it's anglicanism too we're having we have that fight within the 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 anglican the acna and um it may be I, i i it's Wokeism, deconstructionism, what do you want to call it? Is, is another gospel. So I don't, I don't see how the ACNA continues with those who embrace that other gospel in our ranks um, long term. I think it's even more virulent than, than the question of WO because we've lived with that for decades and decades and decades. This is a different thing. It amps that that particular question up and others to a level that that I think will ultimately end in either the vision of the ACNA or the disciplining and the defrocking or casting out of those who um, who continue to hold on to it. Speaking of this particular ACNA flavor of this, my nomination for issue of the year was the Dear Gay Anglicans. That was le- mine. Letter, yeah. Well, it's common. We're all we're all ACNA <laughs> clergy here. But in February of this year, this wokeness in general that you talk about really sort of hit home with the attempt to normalize language sexualized sinful sexualized language about ang- about identity outside of something as in Christ and our house of bishops did respond or was it nah was no, there a letter no. before the letter was before yeah their letter was before yeah so their letter was before and then we had a group of um uh, laity and clergy, and even uh, at the time, one bishop end around, um, or at least tried to sort of say, well, we're not going to use gay Christian language, but we're going to call it gay Anglican. That's right. And that was, um, that was, you know, even the, even with the instant communication, um, places like Nigeria and things are still, you know, 10, 8, 10, 12 hours apart. And so there was a, there was a communication lag. And for a brief amount of time, the uh, church in Nigeria in particular, the archbishop there uh, really had some concerns as to whether or not we had changed our position as a province. I mean, this is how how dramatic. Now, of course, that wasn't the case, but um, you can imagine how they they felt until it was clarified. And that uh, that was a um, was well it was a worldwide event for a moment you know i mean the archbishop foley had to weigh in and assure the or the primate of nigeria that we had in fact not changed there was a discussion about the people that had signed there was some removal of names there was a a real um a real uh, event that took place and i think that it was um answered swiftly and appropriately and correctly but i think that the to your point, Matt, I think that the existence of it and uh, the fact that that sentiment and conviction for that, for lack of a better word, has not gone away. I mean, whether people were caught and or had to be censured is one thing, but the fact that there are, I don't know how many people, but certainly a group of people who disagree with the statement by the college. And, you know, if they're being silent about it, it doesn't mean they're not still um, advocating in, in various ways against it. Um, you know, again, I'm not calling anyone particular out on this, but I think that we are looking at the some of the fractures on fault lines that um, I don't really know how we go forward other than addressing them, calling them out, bringing them to light, and then questioning whether or not one in good conscience can really hold, you know, a 
work within a church if your convictions are contrary to to that degree with the with the leadership with the direction of leadership i mean i don't and that's just one issue but you know you talk about you mentioned the women's ordination issue and i think you know we also see um i think some of the overlap between the incursion of wokeness and the question of women's ordination not because they are the same thing but because the way that the argumentation has been presented within the ACNA, it has in a certain category allowed for a real suspicion about the authority of scripture, about the, the legitimacy of a particular interpretation, you know, whether hermeneutic, uh, a hermeneutic is like contingent upon your, your maleness or femaleness, or, you know, you you just as a, as a patriarchal person can't read the Bible in a certain way other than X, Y, or Z. And, and I think this is part of the infection that, that has allowed some of the as it were, cynicism around doctrinal precision and clarity to exist even in the ACNA, because you have, you know, for instance, we've talked about this before, the constitution of the ACNA with respect to women's ordination is, as an, as an example, uh, with the limitation of women to the episcopacy is essentially arguing for a version of classically understood male headship and, as it were, a sort of an understanding of women's authority with respect to church leadership that fits broadly within a complementarian camp. Um, so the question for an ACNA presbyter in particular is not whether you're complementarian, just simply to what degree. And, you know, if there's a broad swath of people, you know, there's diocese like my diocese that has women elevated all the way to the rector. There are dioceses that don't ordain women um, even to the diaconate and everything in between. And that's our ACNA. But if you are part of the ACNA and you actually are antagonizing and advocating an overthrow or rewriting of the Constitution itself, the founding document, we're only 10 years into this thing. You know, it's like, well, that's that's a different type of, of discussion. And I think that combined with some of these other cultural appropriation of what we call wokeness, deconstruction, whatever, is is really a, a, a problem going forward. I think that this is, you know, and we're trying, and that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to acknowledge to, to identify it and expose it and not to, you know, not to be punitive or, or, or uh, you know, in any sort of way, but, but to just have an honest conversation about how are we actually going to maintain this unity if we have this level of substantive disagreement about some of these issues. I mean, I guess when we, when the ACNA first started, the idea was, okay, the disagreement is on a, is on a secondary level, right? So we just, women's ordination is a secondary question. It's not a, a primary one, I mean, and, and some people who came into the ACNA agreed with that or disagreed with that, but they were willing to live with the, live with that, live with the dissonance. But you know, recently, I mean, take Bishop Hunter's interview with um, Kristen Demay. You know, Kristen Demay's book portrays the, uh, the complementarian position as as not misogynistic, just, yeah, misogynistic. Yeah, it's, evil, it's not just a, a, right. a legitimate position with which Christians might disagree, but it's evil, right? <laughs> it's wicked. So that's being promoted in, in Bishop Hunter's diocese. And, and of course, on the other side, people are promoting the opposite idea that, that egalitarianism is wicked. So it's no longer, I don't think it's any longer within the ACNA anyway. No, I don't think anyone can say it's a secondary issue since, since one side at least claims that the other side is is misogynistic <laughs> right well that is that is the new that is the new field that we're playing on you know the the that when the quote-unquote compromise which people were just people were dissatisfied with in the beginning you know the quote-unquote dual integrities i mean what does that right. actually mean you know right. but at the very least there was there certainly wasn't what 12 years ago the idea that either one of the integrities was like you said wicked or non-christian i mean you you have some pretty serious thoughts ecclesiologically in particular by some of our friends about the limitations of the quote-unquote egalitarian position but even then they would i think at least i don't remember reading much outside of some you know anonymous twitter accounts that don't take responsibility for themselves saying things um that would have risen to the level of 
uh, your your position is wicked or non-Christian or evil, you know, but now, and that's exactly what we're hearing is that you've got, you know, we brought the entire RAC into as a province, um, you know, as a, as a jurisdiction within our province that has never even considered, uh, has been very consistent on, on the status of the role of women within the church. And now this entire jurisdiction is being slandered, basically, by people saying that if you hold to this position, you are a patriarchal misogynist who is um, just reading the Bible uh, because you're a power hungry man who doesn't want to give up authority or whatever, you know, whatever these these just just sad, cynical takes on this whole question. And, and I think it's a, it's going to be difficult to move forward. I think that you're right, it, it, that whatever hope we had for sort of letting bygones be bygones and, and living in, in this compromise seems to be more in question now than it might, it might have been like a little naive uh, 12 years ago. And But to be fair, the culture itself has has made that um, that discussion much more fraught and, and problematic. You know, I mean, the whole toxic masculinity, me too, you've got the, you've got this um, battle between the sexes has uh, reemerged in a very dramatic way. And, you know, it's unsurprising to me that there's very little neutral ground in this area anymore, because there's very little neutral ground in the culture itself outside of, am I, I just preached about this on Sunday, outside of genuine Christian converted people, the battle, you know, the, the age old Genesis three fight between men and women as a result of the curse has, has been revealed to be alive and well. Um, and, you know, to the extent that it exists in the church is because we're still sinners, of course, but um, the fact that people have baptized it and are using it um, within the church to as, as a sort of a Christian argumentation is really disappointing to put it lightly. <laughs> but, so, I mean, yeah, we had, a, we had people in our, uh, well, in our circles down here, you know, talking about their evolution on this issue from, you know, sort of believing kind of the traditional historic position, then morphing to, you know, sort of the John Stott rule or the position, which has sort of a moderating position between the two. And then because of quote unquote misogyny, now they understand that it is, um, that they were wrong uh, from the start. I said, well, goodness, you know, that's a, that's a tough one to, um, that's a tough discussion to enter into. It's like, you know, I was like, I'm going to go talk to my misogynist, evil, wicked friend about, um, <laughs> about his positions on things. It's like, well, I'm not sure I want to come to that conversation. <laughs> you know, it's, well, it's, it goes back, you know, this reminds me of our very first episode, Matt, where we actually started this and you were the one who's pointing out that, that the, the, the terms of the discussion have changed to the extent where people are using terms like white supremacist and racist in ways that, that would have never been um, understood even 10 years ago. And now, you know, entire, you know, groups of people are being called white supremacists and misogynists and racists and all these terrible things without even blinking by Christian people, you know, right. slandering other Christian people with these, with these horribly offensive terms, if they actually were, you know, traditionally defined. And, you know, you could, you could lump misogynists in with racists and white supremacists very easily. Like if you're genuinely um, have evil intention and thoughts and are uh, anti-woman in any capacity um, as a Christian, well, you should repent and be, and, and turn away, you know, but, but now, now that's what we we are by just by fiat, you know, by um, because you know people have decided that this position is is beyond the pale, and and it's all part of a whole. I mean, you're exactly right. Like the wokeism, the cultural in um, uh, sort of uh, infiltration of these ideas is is all part of a, a broader. Um, reaction to the culture, which you and I, we've talked about, we saw through the emergent church, the persistent theme is a, is a, they're, they're afraid of the wrong people. You know, they're, they're, and we talked about this with Schleiermacher, they're, they're seeking the approval of non-Christian people at the expense of perhaps misguided and perhaps even in error, but nevertheless, Christian people, you know, people that are confessing Christ, you know, seeking to submit to his will, like looking for guidance through the authority of scripture, however imperfectly, they're the ones being punched down on or punched right or, or dismissed in service of what? In service of being interviewed by, you know, Ezra or whatever his name is. Um, uh, anyway, 
Yeah, or just, you know, service of getting a byline in one of the magazines, the service of getting a, you know, I don't know, the right tweet, the Twitter followers or a blue check. And it's just so obvious and sad is what it is. And, um, you know, we saw it before and it's the same arguments. Well, you know, those people have their feelings hurt. You know, those people are leaving the church or the young people aren't coming back. You know, well, you know, uh, everyone's everyone thinks Christians are so mean. And that's so if we, when we don't change any of that stuff. You know, the church only has 10 years to live. It's like, well, you know, we've um, we've been through this before and I'm, I'm not particularly worried about the, the fact that a 16 year old is going to react against, um, you know, being told no in any capacity at all, uh, particularly if it's from God. And yet I know as a 16 year old uh, who's now, you know, much older that some of the best and most gracious things that have ever been told to me have been no by the loving, the hand of a loving father. And I'm going to continue to do that as graciously and as lovingly as I can and trust that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus's promises will continue and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so you can wear your Brian McLaren and you can rewrite the Christianity for the new generation and we'll just stick with the stick with what we've been given and and my money's on well what we've been given (laughs) (laughs) next year we'll do our issue of the year last since we can't seem to spend less than about half an hour talking about it but that's fine that's why it's the issue of the year right okay here's another one i've got i've got got another nominee too actually if we just want to do one (laughs) one nominee one award the whole time go for it well, I was interested in what y'all thought about. I think I think one of the most interesting things that's happened is a as an aftershock of the Trump phenomenon, whatever we want to call it, is the now standardized distinction in our common Christian parlance between evangelical or elites and non-elites within within the um, sort of evangelical world. But I, I consider us part of that. I mean, I consider us part of, uh, you know, because as far as I can tell, we've talked about before, evangelicals are people who ostensibly believe the Bible, which puts them in con- uh, distinction to, you know, the mainline church, you know, or whatever. So, um, but I don't know what y'all think about that, because I thought that was, you know, uh, Mark Galley's, um, you know, op-ed about by by he coined the phrase, you know, evangelical elite, I think wasn't technically in 20. I think it was the end of 20, uh, 2020. Uh, right. Um, but anyway, but that started a long that started a conversation that's still going on about the quote unquote elites and the non elites. And um, I don't know what y'all think about that, uh, but I think that was uh, un. I would, that was something I didn't expect. Um, although when it happened, it put into it, it put into focus a lot of these other issues because I didn't expect to be using that term, or I wouldn't have necessarily brought it up that way. But once it was it, once it was entered into the to the record, I think it started to make sense of a lot of the fault lines again within kind of American Christianity. No, I think I, that was kind of kind of surprising because because before, I mean, up, up until five years ago, the evangelical, the, the big names in evangelicalism were countercultural, I guess we would say. They, they were people who were saying, yeah, we shouldn't be having abortion on the scale that we're having, we shouldn't have it at all. I mean, the the, prime, the, prime, the things that evangelicals were known for were, were anti-abortion stands and uh, objection to sexuality, uh, homosexuality, and the incursion of the LGBT. Q agenda into our, our national um, life. Those are, and those those set evangelicals apart as kind of counter cultural. And, and bad and bad bad movies, bad movies, and bad movies. Right? Yeah, yeah. We, no, yeah they had their own. I mean, look, there is. Yeah, of course, there is the fat. We have, we have yeah, Stephen Baldwin, though. Right, but there was a whole kind of culture there. Bad, not not not, not necessarily a beautiful culture, but a culture of we're not going along with the the leftward drift of of society but then now what's happened is that some of the big names have have said no we're going along with that we're um where we are becoming woke ourselves and we're it's we're we're we, we the only way to reach people in this culture is to become somewhat like this culture so i guess it's not a new that's that idea is not new that was that was kind of there in the mega church movement. But what's yeah, new about church it, growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the church, church movement. What's new about it is we're going to compromise some like very central tenets of of our of our faith. We're going we're going to 
embrace things like revoice. Um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to de-emphasize anti-abortion um, in favor of leftist social programs. <laughs> so, yeah. so we've also uh, seen a really broad, a real broadening of the word evangelical because the people yeah. who like to use it don't know what the heck they're talking about. So somebody like Rachel Held Evans is an evangelical just because she uses the name Jesus in her book. Like, right. The, there's no, there's no sense like the, the Venn diagram of Christian Orthodoxy and evangelical is all scattered. Right. <laughs> well, but yeah, so that's true. I mean, if it, it's a kind of a, a label without a, without a definition anymore, but it, it no longer has anything, any re resemblance to the classical definition, but, um, but I mean, even, even there are, I think that if you ask a guy like Denny Burke, he would say he's an evangelical. And if you ask someone like uh, Danny Aiken or, um, at middle, he they would say they're evangelicals, but they're worlds apart with regard to how they understand that term and what that means with regard to the issues of the day. I don't think that five years ago, you would have even maybe six years ago, you'd have evangelicals arguing that um, immigration policy is as important as abortion. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the question of, of health care is as important as as gay marriage. But now you do. And in fact, you have some arguing that it's fine to support politicians supporting abortion and gay marriage so long as they have the right position on these other policies, which that's this brand new. And, and I think that's where you have the pushback against the elites, the elite evangelicals who have largely become progressives and Christian garb. And, um, and, and so you have a, a lot of people who are looking at this and saying, this is not who we are and we don't want these people representing us. And this is, this is where you have the, the turmoil. When it goes back to what you were saying before about us having seen this, um, uh, because, you know, it's just, I don't know how many times we have to say it, but it's hard not to simply reflect on the same argumentation, the same infiltration, the same, you know, so slow slide, towards um, ultimately apostasy that we all experienced within the kind of mainline church and the and has been well documented. I mean, you know, we're laughing about the the discussion that the what is it, the Christian Reformed Church is have the quote unquote discussion that's having about same sex quote unquote marriage. You know, it's like, well, why don't you just pick up the all of the the documents from the Church of England and the Episcopal Church, you know, discussion committees from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and then just read, just change the dates. I mean, you know, I just got this uh, World Council of Churches um, the, in 1970, they had this thing on feminism um, and like the church's response to it back in the 70s. And I just got the transcript from the uh, big um, meeting that they had in Berlin. And to read it now, you know, some 50 years later, it's like reading, um, you know, kind of the Christianity today, uh, you know, in terms of the argumentation, it's all about power, all about oppression and liberation and, you know, the yoking together of sort of the, um, the arguments about the, sort of the contemporary feminist arguments with, with racial politics and then sexual identity, you know, it's all nascent there, all in the water. And it happened to hit us as Episcopalians um, much uh, earlier than it did the rest of the churches. But it's like we've said before, I mean, back in the early 2000s, I was telling my my Baptist and Presbyterian friends who were aghast that I would consider joining the Episcopal Church. I said, well, look, you know, we're fighting against this wave, but it's coming. And we are getting to live sort of on the outside of the wave cresting within, you know, American, quote unquote, evangelicalism. And it's hard not to say um, not we told you so, but but it's hard not to just point out to the to the same argumentation, the same hermeneutic, the same suspicion, the same cynicism, you know, and ultimately the same outcome, which is that the church will change to supposedly meet the demands of the culture despisers, and then they will be happy with the change and content to continue not coming. You know, it's like, we're glad that you got on board. Uh, yeah. We're going to continue to not come, uh, but we're less, uh, we're less upset when we drive by here on Sunday morning to go commune with nature. Uh, we will be less offended than we were before. Um, and that's <laughs> what we, um, you know, or until grandpa dies, you know, grandpa, we, and we know 
Um, but, and that's, and again, you know, I take no joy in that, but back to our, back to your original concern, Matt, my, my main concern as a minister in the ACNA, you know, is that we have, we have, uh, brought more of that with us than I expected, you know, and I, I mean, and Nick and I were outside of this for so long, relatively new to the, to the actual, um, you know, taking up the, the mantle in the ACNA is what, three years now, uh, or so. And, you know, there was a certain, uh, rose-colored naivete that I had looking over saying, well, you know, as soon as I can get released from Babylon, you know, I will be at the very least free to speak um, with some conviction amongst my fellow clergy um, about some of these quote-unquote contentious issues that were, you know, that were basically off the table in, um, in the Episcopal church world, mainline, you know, polite company and diocesan discussions. And then you find yourself here and all of a sudden it's like, you know, with, with few exceptions, the landmines are there, you know, the vitriol and antagonism is there. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's concerning going forward. Um, you know, and that's why I think one of the reasons why we started this was to hopefully encourage people that are worried about the direction, um, not to, to leave the church, not to be despairing, but to take comfort that, that there are people that have been through it and have seen some of the, the challenges and are committed to the best we can, uh, keeping them away from, from the sheep. I mean, that's the, that's the goal. I'm not sure if, if I think it's kind of follows what you've been saying, but uh, one of the more surprising, and I think this is one of the categories, Nick, correct yeah, me yeah. if I'm wrong, one of the more surprising slash weird things that happened in 2020 is the, the Beth Moore. 21. 2021. What yeah, whatever. Year is it? it all together. With, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all, this is year, this is year two. It's, it's like after the, it's like after the French Revolution, we're in year two of COVID. That's all we are. It's all so, so yeah, Beth Moore joining yeah. these was like a huge, surprising, I think, to me. Thing. And and now I, I don't mean any, I'm not going to speak badly of her. She seems, since she's joined, to have, she's not, I, I haven't seen much on social media from her. She's been quiet. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that she is taking this very seriously. And um, I, there's no reason to believe she isn't. But before her, Beforehand, she had been quite outspoken on matters concerning the things we were talking about before, and she had been decidedly woke, and she had been very clear that her position about women with regard to women in the church was very different than others in the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and so now she's come to the ACNA it's just an interesting move. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've heard rumors. I don't know if they're true or not. I'm not going to gossip. But I've heard rumors that another very big name in the ERLCA, or whatever the, the last name because of the name, is also in the ACNA. And and it's interesting. You know, it, it's, it, it, I'm not, I don't know. I'm hoping Beth Moore has not, is not the same uh, theologically and ideologically as she was before. Maybe she's changed, but it is interesting that we see this con- the, the the trend continuing and becoming stronger of disaffected woke Baptists yes. coming into the ACNA, and it's a dangerous trend because I think they perceive the ACNA as being something like this kind of wax nose, like you get the candles, yeah. you get the mysticism, you get the robes you get the mystery, you get the history in the ancient church and no theological boundaries or, or, yeah. or, or blurry theological boundaries, as opposed to what you find in other, other denominations. That's not and, true. But, but I think but it's I just, and, and having been, I mean, having been in the church of England and the Episcopal church for 12, ordained for 12 years, I don't understand that move um, into the ACNA because you could very easily, I mean, there are many churches and we have friends that are still in the Episcopal Church or ministers there. I mean, there are very many people, you make some compromises, but uh, you yourself 
do not have to necessarily perjure your own conscience. And they're all over the place. You know, I mean, like, I mean, for instance, like a lot of these people are in um, Tennessee, the Nashville area, like Bishop Bowerschmidt and the and the Episcopal Church um, is one of the uh, communion partner bishops. Like there's there's some resistant holdout churches in that diocese and the Episcopal Church. And so why would you stop at the ACNA church? That's what that's what's concerning to me is because we were supposed to be the clear puritanical reactionaries. Uh, I mean, to put it, I mean, like we were talking before, you know, we we have this this Jerusalem declaration. We have this worldwide communion of, uh, you know, including churches, you know, all over the, the world that have very strong, clear cut convictions about very hot topics, uh, socially hot topics. And, you know, like I've said before, if we could just highlight those, I think we would we would attract well, it would just be a clarifying issue, you know, if on every every uh, front bulletin of every ACNA church was our three distinctives, you know, the uniqueness of Christ, the authority of scripture and God's design for men and women with respect to sexuality and marriage. You know, these are this is what we believe. You know, this is where church you're joining. And I think that would be helpful <laughs> because I'm with you. Like, I don't understand the appeal over against what what I left, if that makes any sense. I mean, that's, that's what I'm having to struggle with. Is it like the kind of socially progressive, biblically orthodox in a broad sense on kind of, um, you know, human sexuality, but, but, but not to the extent of actually teaching, preaching or, or explaining it, you know, Um, cynically, I think, I mean, just speaking cynically and maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I'm not usually wrong. (laughs) But occasionally it's happened. Um, (laughs) Cynically speaking, the the, the embrace of actual full-on sexually active homosexuality is something that I think most of the evangelicals coming, most of the Baptists anyway, coming to the ACNA, still consider... You just can't do it. Verboten. I don't think that's cynical. I think that's true. Well, well... Well, the reason I'm saying cynical okay. is because I'm not sure they're they're convicted by it. I'm not sure that, that there's a there's a real conviction there. I think that possibly there's a a social conviction, like okay, we, I can't go that far, mm. but I can but I can I can go to the ACNA, which is looser, right? And we can have things like revoice, and so I I think right now and and. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I think right now we have clergy, maybe even bishops who are personally, but very privately in favor of same-sex marriages, but who will never say that. Or at least not scandalized by them, at the very least. They're not scandalized by them. That's they right. think they think they can happen within the within the or within the orb of orthodoxy and are not and are fine with it. And and so I think. That there's where the cynicism comes. I think we think people who believe that within the SBC or other evangelical places will come to the ACNA harboring those privately held beliefs, knowing they can't express them or they'll lose their platform. If 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 elite evangelical A were to say today, I'm totally in favor of of gay marriage, elite evangelical A would lose. The platform that he or she has built up immediately, like within a second, he would be lauded by the or any other thing. But he would just lose <laughs> any kind of truck, any kind of any kind of traction that he or she has in the evangelical be gone. And they know that they know that very well. So how far how far left can you lean without totally going over the edge? Well, the ACNA. We have interesting. We have ACNA people who are doing that right now. That's an interesting segue that I'm going to latch on to, to my, one of my nominees for most surprising turn of events in 2021, because it's at the exact opposite end of the spectrum. At the same time, we have, I think what you called left-leaning Baptists coming into Anglicanism. We had Michael Nazarali go out to the Catholic Church. Now, that's not a zero-sum game that we would like to have continue. Our sort of um, Orthodox <laughs> leadership leaving to Rome and liberal Baptists coming in the other side, like eventually that's going to tip the boat the, the other way. But um, you all were surprised by his leaving too, right? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think everyone, I mean, the guy wrote a chapter in Reformation Anglicanism. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's the, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this actually, and I disagree with him wholeheartedly. And we've spoken about that. Um, and he hasn't asked me, you know, I mean, I, have, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't texted him back, but I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think I'm sympathetic to him in a new way or in a way that's become clear to me over the past couple of months, thinking about him and reflecting on our own position here, because however he's couching it, I think, and again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think one of the attractions that he is looking for that he perhaps has found that I've seen in other people that have left our church to go to Rome is that the fighting is over. Like that there's a certain resistance. You know, when I say that the fighting, I mean, the, there, there's a, the internal fighting, like their fight now is like outward facing. You know, there is some internal politics. I mean, the Catholic Church is huge. And so there's obviously there's internal politics and Francis is kind of vacillates and things. But fundamentally, the faith that they have that hammered out is not going to change overnight. And it's not going to, um, you know, they're not going to wake up one day and have like the, the doctrine of morals totally overthrown. Now, there'll be various there'll be a spectrum of kind of liberal or more progressive or conservatives. But you can assume that one of those positions and immediately become a, uh, as it were, a cultural commentator over against the secular world. And so, like, for instance, Sarab Amari is a perfect example. You know, he's a convert to Catholicism and he's, you know, integrationalist. And all of a sudden he's he's able to speak. The, the strangest thing about him from a cultural perspective is not that he is saying what he's saying because he has embraced the Roman Catholic Church. So do you see what I'm saying? That, that we spend almost all of our time tiptoeing around these questions or many of these questions um, to the, I think, detriment of our own actual parishioners and their public witness, because we can't even get to the place where we start educating and sort of teaching people about the faith, at least at least in a fully throated way uh, within the ACNA, because we're so we're so hamstrung by internal um, disagreements, you know, like we can't even say full throatedly that as an ACNA, as a church, as a minister in this church, we will attempt to uh, not utilize, for instance, language like gay Christian. Uh, we're going to start trying to do this and we're going to start teaching it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to, and you can't even, you know, we, we have a, a bishop's letter that says that essentially, which, you know, uh, caused this huge uproar. And most of us, you know, maybe present company excluded, um, Matt, <laughs> are not so uh, into getting, you know, called names and being brought up on, you know, getting emails to bishops and all these things that it's, it's effectively silenced any actual teaching by most people about, you um, you know, to this end. And so back to Nazarali, I think if you if you all of a sudden said, well, I'm I'm a Roman Catholic, you know, then you become anti-abortion. You're like, well, not all of us are. But of course, we understand, you know, you become pro, um, you know, you, there's no women in the priesthood. There's, you know, all of these issues that that you can you can assume and that those no longer are are the things you're fighting about within your own church. They're actually just things that you're defending in the broader culture, which, which is, it's hard not to find that attractive uh, because it actually, you know, with five, now five kids, I mean, Matt is sick, you know, we all have children, the idea of getting past the, um, hand wringing about the topic and actually sitting down to teach people about the topic, um, whatever the topic may be, is really an attractive proposition, you know. And so, for instance, we're we're hitting this firsthand in our in our parish because when our it, back to women's ordination, when the bishop when Bishop Lawrence announces retirement, there were some people who began to read the qualifications for uh, episcopacy in the ACNA, and it was a shock to some. They're like, "Well, wait a minute, you know, I didn't know we didn't ordain women to the episcopacy. Why not?" Well. We've entered into like a year's discussion on this issue, and I think we're basically at the at the very first position. We're still at the first blush of well, this may be what the Bible says about the the height of leadership. And and again, I'm not blaming anyone for that. It's 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 because it was went from zero zero interaction with the question to you know wait, this sounds crazy, but but we're going to trust you. Help me figure it out. But I just saw that as an indication of like, there's so many things like that, that we have to begin at early age and have support and have conviction and have resources that if we continue simply to tiptoe around each other and have these internal disagreements, well, then, you know, we're never going to get to the actual work of feeding the sheep. And that's what, again, that's why I think Nazarali 
I mean, I've seen this, you know, it's like Camille Pagula is a perfect example. You know, she's a, she's a, what a self-described um, uh, lesbian feminist or something, you know, she's a, she's a cultural commentator who's also a Roman Catholic. So whenever she has sort of these countercultural, you know, sort of conservative takes on things, it's not an issue because like, well, she is a Catholic, you know, of course she's, of course she's pro-life, of course she's X, Y, Z, you know, and she's wildly liberal in certain ways. But, you know, when it comes to what she writes a lot about, like the, the relationship between men and women, she's given a pass because of the weight of tradition and the, the church is behind her, you know, I mean, majority speaking. And, and that's, again, I don't, I'm not going to become a Roman Catholic, but I, I'm thinking a lot about what would be the motivation because he said as much, you know, he said, he's like, he's tired of having these, the church of England equivocate on all these things, like make these pronouncements that mean nothing, like basically be inconsequential in a broader society issue. He's tired of them not being able to speak against the culture of death and all these things. I mean, that's, that's his, his, his reasons for becoming a Roman Catholic were just a litany of problems with the Anglican church, which no one would disagree with. At least I, I was certainly would disagree with. And I think that, I mean, maybe that was an attraction. I don't know that that was a, I've been thinking about it. I've been needing to say that, uh, but I don't know what you think. I mean, I don't know that that's kind of how I think he's rationalizing some of it, or at least that's how I would. Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, when you talk to Roman Catholic or converts from Catholicism, that's, that's generally the, uh, the appeal is to authority. You know, and I'm, I'm sick of having to wrestle with these people who don't accept the Bible as the supreme authority of, or who are, who are sort of twisting it that there's, there's no real way to say, hey, to, hey, this is what the text says. You need to submit to it. So we're, we're going we're gonna to find some kind of superior authority that will, will def, to give us a definitive interpretation that no one can object to. I mean, that's, I mean, and I understand that. I mean, there, there's a people who I've talked to who leave evangelicalism or Anglicanism for Rome. It's always this kind of sense of I need rest. I want to be able to lay down and submit to the authority of the of the, of the Pope and and the magisterium, and and not have to fight these fights. I mean, of course, the problem is if you look within the Roman Catholic Church right now, especially, you see all those fights. <laughs> there's, there's no peace. There's no rest there. I mean, Father James Martin, I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not, but you oh, follow yeah. Father James Martin, go follow him on, on Twitter. I mean, he is the quintessential Episcopalian. And and he's speaking with impunity and and he's wildly popular. You're going to find the same kind of fights within... Roman Catholicism that you find in evangelicalism and elsewhere. It's just the, the facade of unity. I wonder if it, are they actually fighting though? Like they, yeah, no, they well, talk the about whatever the heck they fight. want, but they don't seem to actually be fighting. Well, the trads are really upset. You, know, you read like, read a, read, read a traditional Roman Catholic website and they're just so irate. Right, really, okay. it, it reminds me of the Stand Firm days. You know, they're just really angry. Well, we're Sam. <laughs> the, uh, the old Sam. We're the kinder, gentler Sam. What's going there. on here, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, they're we are the kinder, gentler Sam. But they're but they're um, they're they're irate with what they see happening with okay. President Pope and with the progressives in the church. There's very little discipline. That kind of so so. I think ultimately the retreat to Rome is is not a helpful retreat. It doesn't, it doesn't save you. No, no. I, and I wasn't advocating that at all, but I think no, 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 I, I, what, you know, I what he has the, what they have, th this is why, again, I go back to our three points of the ACNA is like, I, if you, if you join the Roman Catholic church and you, you assume the traditionalist mantle and you, you know, go all in like, like Scott Hahn and these guys, you know, that left the Presbyterian church, um, then you will get, you'll have to fight some interior battles, of course, but you, um, you have a, a place to stand, you know, yeah. because there's this, and, and I think that's what, that's, you don't have to answer knows. the question. Like, why are you so hateful? Like you, you ACNA clergy, why are you so hateful? They don't even ask. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're, you're just, Catholic. Yeah, you're just too you're just too conservative. You're you you're too traditional. You know, that's a different argument than than we're getting, you know, you're just um battle scarred and sort of defensive because of your time in the Episcopal Church or something like this, you know, or, or whatever. You know, you you um you know the, the again back to the wax nose idea, like 
I'd be happy to to have these discussions and understand that not everyone's going to, you know, there's going to be a breadth of interpretation and churchmanship in, in any given church. But I found it, it's it's destabilizing when the foundations seem to be shifting at, at times, you know, and like I think, like we said before, I think that the bones and the foundation and the founding documents and and the blood, sweat and tears that went into creating them are sufficiently robust and strong to to actually defend and articulate a a consistent reformation anglicanism for lack of a better word to the world and what we're what we're lacking is simply either people in the places of authority uh, exercising that authority again not punitively but biblically to correct and and rebuke false teaching and uh, erroneous shepherds and also defending you know the faith i mean that's what uh, paul says to timothy you know like didn't you have to refute false doctrine i mean you know we don't refute uh you know and if you don't think that the false doctrine is actually deadly and damning and and corrosive to people's souls and lives and well-beings well then you shouldn't be a minister you know i mean i don't know if you if you think that, that dealing with the people's catechism about who god is and who they are and where where they need to find solace and peace and, and restoration is somehow a um you know, not a, a life or death matter, well, then you're not going to think discussions about um, human sexuality are going to be, um, you know, that big a deal, or let's not get too fired up about cert- cert- these sorts of things. And I think that's what we're lacking. It's not that we don't have the tools, and it's not like we don't have the foundation, but we we have, uh, it's been it's been disappointing to see some of the responses to to some of the incursion of this kind of of these false gospels, as you put it rightly, Matt, uh, the false teaching. And, you know, I, I hope that in our own small little way that we have been encouraging people to um, take heart in the midst of that, that, you know, not no, there's the it's not like everyone's just blind to this and i'm i'm trusting and and hopeful that like what we saw in the whole uh human sexuality college of bishops letter the response to the gay anglican letter the kind of swiftness and the comprehensive reaction as that that will continue that type of of shepherding will continue you know i I forget who quit tweeted it but somebody shortly after that said you know, dear bishops, please take notice of how comfortably your sheep sleep at night, you know, after, after exercising um, shepherd, you know, discipline as shepherds, you know, and I think that's, if, if that's the one prayer I have going forward is that the people who actually have the authority will be wise and judicious and Christian in exercising it. But just as Hebrews 13 says, a loving father, you know, the pagans uh, have fathers that love them and discipline them. How much greater with your loving father in heaven? Well, the vicars of our loving father in heaven are the people giving responsibility over that are bishops and then rectors and priests. And I pray for wisdom for my own self as a father, you know, a father and a minister, but certainly, I mean, I have very little direct, um, you know, I don't have a very wide sort of sphere of influence. I mean, but what I do, I take very seriously. And there are people with much wider ones. And I pray for them that they would have a renewed sense of of urgency about uh, protection and articulation of danger, you know, training people for the work of ministry, as opposed to simply trying to keep everyone, uh, you know, sort of feeling feelings from getting hurt. It's like if we've learned anything in the past 24 months, it's that there's no possible way of not hurting everyone's feelings at all times, uh, inadvertently or vertently. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, uh, So uh, that's my prayer. That's my hope. Well, that prayer sounds like a good note to end on, uh, indeed, to end 2021 on. Uh, We are going to call it quits this week. Uh, We'd love to keep the conversation going with you. One of these years, we will get to our fourth category, mailbag question of the year. (laughs) Please do keep emailing us. We'd love to be in touch. Or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. We are, as always, grateful for your time listening. Uh, Thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm